So I'll just give you a little caveat before we start the message this morning. And, um, and uh, so you get a freebie, you get a free pass this morning. Those of you that are faithfully here this morning, we're a little light uh, than we have been uh, lately. And so those of you that made it faithfully here this morning uh, to be together in fellowship on the very first day of the year, we'll give you a pass if you fall asleep. So, <laughs> I promise I won't talk about you, uh, except if, yeah, <laughs> except, except if you're one of my kids, I'll talk about you all day long, so that's my right and privilege, uh, but uh, anyway, no, what a privilege to be together, it was uh, nice to be with some of you, to see some of you, and uh, just fellowship uh, last night, and uh, it was crazy, you know, uh, man, Crazy fireworks and all sorts of stuff, and and uh, yeah, we got a fireworks display at Raul's house, and uh, it's it's crazy being right underneath those fireworks. <laughs> Never experienced that that before. That was that was fun. Um, I I love fire. I love big explosions. I don't know. There's something about that. It's a lot of fun, but uh, we had a good time. I trust that. Uh, it's, it's just a privilege to be together as a family, uh, first day of the year. I mean, we were here for Christmas last week, and now taking communion the first day of the year, that fellowship, and it's, it's truly a joy to be a family, to be together. I really look forward to it, because I get to see all of you from here, uh, and uh, many of you that I don't get to see every week, and so it's a joy uh, to be together. I think that's what Paul was so excited about as he talks to Timothy, as he talks about the, the tears. You know, in ministry, there are a lot of tears. We shed a lot of tears. It, it was uh, with great joy uh, to be with our, uh, our grandson over Christmas, first Christmas being grandpa, and that was a joy. It wasn't quite the joy sending him off, but uh, it, looking back and having memories and together as a family, it's just different. And sometimes we experience those things. I, I see that in Paul talking about Timothy. So I was thinking about this year, and I've been reading through and, and uh, reading through the Bible. It, it, it's, it's a blessing. Um, I've, I've tried uh, many years. I'm like, I'm trying to get through four. I've gotten through three. Four is, is, it hasn't been possible with other studies. I just couldn't do it. So I've, I've, I've tailored back to two, getting through two times because three was crazy. But I've really enjoyed it. And as I get through it, I come across passages and I thought, you know, I, I love Paul's heart uh, to Timothy. And, and we can glean some things. This passage, the intent was for Paul to encourage and instruct Timothy as a pastor, as one who would carry the gospel message. But it wasn't... In this text, it wasn't being a pastor as much as being a servant of the gospel and carrying the gospel and serving and being reminded of that service. And I wanted us to glean and to think about what Paul was telling Timothy and what can we glean from this and encourage our own souls as we think about the new year. A lot of times we hear about New Year's resolutions, all these things that we're going to do, all these promises. And I say hogwash. I, I stopped doing that many years ago. But what can encourage us and remind us? Many of us have said, 
you know, I really enjoy the family atmosphere in church. And many people have said, man, I would hate to lose that. And, and there's, in a sense, we can think about, man, what would happen or what would cause us to lose this family atmosphere and the joy that we experience together. And so as I was thinking about this and coming through this passage, I think, I was like, this brought encouragement and reminded me of what we need to be reminded about in serving the Lord and really carrying the gospel and being reminded of our faith. And so this is the question, is this, how can we continue to grow and prepare for what is coming next? We don't know what is coming next, but our Savior and the Lord does. We don't know what's going to happen next month six months, next year by this time. We don't know the growth. We don't know uh, who moves and who comes. We don't know what God is going to do. But we can rejoice that we know that God knows, and we can rejoice that God has given us ample information on to be prepared for whatever is next. And so we read our text already, looking at, and this morning we're going to look specifically at verses 5 through 14, and we're going to remind of what we read before we took communion. And before we do that, let's pray and ask God to teach us from this text this morning. Lord, we come to you the first time this year, and we humbly ask that you'd be glorified, and not glorified because of the preaching, but Lord, because of the word. Lord, that, that it's about the gift that you've given us, that we'd be reminded And Lord, I pray just as Paul prayed with tears and with joy that we would be reminded of the gospel and the power that it provides. And that, Lord, these words would be words of life and refreshment. And Lord, would help us in our thinking and remind us of the that suffering is normal and that the hardships that we experience in this world is normal. But help us. Lord, to be encouraged by the gifts that you've given us and that, Lord, we would exercise them and find joy in doing so. So, Lord, help us to glorify you in your word, in the learning and the remembering of what you've done for us. May we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In answering this question of how do we grow and how do we prepare ourselves um, for what's coming next, I was drawn, I, I have a, a guy that I like to read. If you want to know about praying and prayer, um, there's a, a guy named Ian Bounds, and he writes specifically on prayer. I, I can hardly find anything else. He is so devoted to prayer, and his relationship with the Lord is, it was one of the most important things. In writing, I came across, or in reading his writings, I came across a couple of quotes that he had about the church, and, I, and it really emulates, I believe, what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. And I want to read them, and that it might encourage us as we think about this text in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Ian Bounds, in his book, Power Through Prayer, he said this, he said, the church is always looking for better methods. As we think about Praying or, you know, praying about, you know, how do we grow and how do we prepare for whatever is next? 
And when we say that word grow, a lot of times we think about numbers or we think about, you know, bigger and better. And, you know, if you've been in youth group, you've played that game bigger and better where you start with a paper clip and you, sometimes you get guys that come back with TVs or uh, somehow they come back with better things. But that's not the intent of the question. And Ian Bounds said this. He said, the church is always looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. And I want us to think about that. God is, is looking for better men or faithful men in that sense. And he went on to say in another chapter in his book on power through prayer, he said, what the church needs today is not mere uh, machinery or better programs, nor new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. That's what the church needs. He said, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, basically that are focused on their relationship with the Lord and desire that relationship. He goes on to say, the men that the Holy Spirit, um, he said, the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. Think about that statement. God doesn't use methods and, and use programs or machinery or tools or things. He uses men, people of God. The church, the assembly, the body that has come together. That's what he's talking about. It said, he goes on to say, he says, he does not come on and into machinery. The Holy Spirit doesn't come into machinery or into programs but he comes into men. He saves people. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men. I would think and I'd pray as we look at this new year, sometimes we get fixated on what are we going to do with everything that God has given us. And I would hope that we would take and think about this statement, and that is, as we think about growth and his how is my life with the Lord? Am I growing? Am I a man of prayer? Am I prepared for what is coming next because of my relationship with the Lord? Because God doesn't anoint perfect plans. He doesn't anoint perfect mechanisms in the church or programs, but he, he anoints men to do mighty things for God through God's power. And as we think about the text, as Paul says, I am grateful in verse 3, and in verse 4 he's saying, I'm longing to, to see you, and, and I'm remembering you with tears and with joy and praying for you. In verse 5, being remembered of, of Timothy's faith that came through his grandmother. Think about the lineage here. That his grandmother was a woman of faith, and that his mom was a woman of faith. And now Paul says, I can see God's gift and faith in you. I hope that you would see that Paul isn't concerned as he writes to Timothy, a young pastor, about the church. As he's writing to him about the church, he doesn't talk about great plans and great mechanisms and, and these kind of things, but he talks about Timothy as being a man of God and entrusting these faithful Words and the gospel and the faithful teachings of God to other faithful men in the church. Paul isn't concerned about the church and the organization, but 
He's concerned about Timothy being the man of God that God has called him to be. He's concerned for his son in the faith in this last time. He talks about it all the time. And in the end of 1 Timothy, he talks about in the last time, there's going to be all these horrible things happening, people disregarding authority and disregarding the word of God. And he goes on to even say in, in 2 Timothy, he says, remember that we are in the last times and people are going to hate the Lord and they're going to hate you and there's going to be suffering. He talks about in chapter 2, there'll be great suffering. And he wants to remind, Paul's reminding Timothy, be godly in the last time. Not only is he concerned about Timothy living through this last time, but he's concerned about Timothy as Paul realizes that he himself is in his last days. As he writes 2 Timothy, he knows, Paul knows that he is going to die soon, that his time on earth is done. And he's thinking and praying for his son in the faith that now is going to have to be a faithful man of God without Paul. Can you imagine what Paul is thinking about as he writes this and as, as God gives the very words through the Holy Spirit to Timothy and now to God's church? Paul is concerned about the man of God and not the, the programs or a building, the bigger and the better, but he's concerned about his son in the faith. We can learn some things about this, and I want to look at two things real quickly, as quick as I possibly can in the time allotted to us, and that is we need to be prepared to serve faithfully. That was what Paul was concerned about. He tells Timothy, be concerned. He says in verse 5, five and 6 and 7, he says, 5, being remembered of the un, uh, reminded of the unhypocritical uh, faith within you, notice He's saying you're not a hypocrite. You really are saved. You have faith that was first it dwelt in your grandmother, then in your mom. And I see and I'm convinced he knows it's in Timothy that you are saved and you have faith. In verse 6, he says, for this reason, because of he knows this, because of this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the faith of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. He says, Timothy, I want you to be prepared for serving faithfully. And you can say, well, how can I, how can you ask that question? How can I become a faithful servant of God? How can I faithfully serve the Lord? God wanted Timothy to remember the important things about serving the Lord. The first thing he reminded him is remind him to stir up the gospel and its gifts. This unhypocritical faith that was within you was the fact that God saved him. It was the gospel, the good news that gave him faith. They gave him the ability to trust in Christ. And he says, for this reason, I want you to remember this. To kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That word remembrance is the same word we talked about in communion. The fact that to, to reconstruct in our mind the thoughts of our, the gospel. Reconstruct the fact that God saved you. And what does that mean? 
It carries the idea of carefully thinking back in someone's mind, not just remembering a thought, but letting that thought change our behavior. It's what 2 Peter 1.12 is talking about when he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, to remind you so that you would remember, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Talking about the gospel. To remind them of these qualities, to be remembrance of the gospel. Just like you heard from, from Raul and Donald, to, to not to neglect the gospel. Why has the atmosphere been changing in the family the family atmosphere in church been changed because of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel and how it is working in our lives so that way we serve the Lord faithfully. To stir up, the idea of stirring up this remembrance of the gospel and the gifts that it brings to our life, the idea of stirring up is to kindle afresh. It means to stir up smoldering embers into a living flame is the idea of, in the Greek here. It's to keep the flame ablaze at white heat. You know, the heat in which it tempers and melts the steel, and it's blazing hot. God's saying to, you know, Paul is reminding Timothy, stir this faith up. Stir up the gifts that you have. Don't neglect them. But what's interesting here is to remind you, Timothy didn't need any new ingredients. He didn't say, put on another log. He's actually saying in the Greek, stir up what you have. We have the gospel. We have the grace that God has given us to live and to use that grace to serve one another. Timothy didn't need any new ingredients to fan the flame because it was already there through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, fear. And the things that we face in the world, fear has a tendency to smother that fire. To smother the fire of service, to not to serve the Lord and to serve others. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul had, had already reminded Timothy of this. He says, don't neglect the gifts that you have which was given to you by prophecy or proclamation when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We see in the New Testament that every believer has been given the ability to help in the growth of the church, to serve and to glorify God. First Peter tells us about this, and he tells us the rules of how the Holy Spirit works and uses these gifts for the body of Christ. And it says in 1 Timothy 4, it says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Everyone has various different abilities and gifts specifically oriented to building up the church. How can we grow and be prepared for what's next in life? Remember the gospel because the gospel will control and use the gifts in our life to build up the body. Verse 11, it says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So it's not something that we do in ourselves. It's a gift from God. God strengthens us to use it. Why? He says in verse 11, in order that in everything, everything that we do, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory. 
The gifts are not for our glory. They're not for our uplifting. They're not for our being special or powerful in the church or authoritative. The gifts are for the building up of the body to encourage one another to be family, to serve the body so that God is glorified. When we are a functioning family through the gospel, using the gifts that God has given us through the gospel, we empower one another for service. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy, and we can learn from this. But he wants us to remind us in verse 7 that God did not give us fear that as we live life in the church, that God didn't give fear. That's a byproduct of our world. It's interesting, in verse 7 it says, For God has not given fear. Some, it's in some uh, translation, is timidity or timid or cowardice. Is some, but it, the idea here, it means lacking of mental or moral strength. It's the idea of fear of lacking mental or moral strength. To be timid, shameful fear that is generated by weak and selfish character. It's interesting. The word means that you are fearful because it's a lack of good moral character because of weakness and selfish character. The picture is one of who is in a state of fear because of a lack of courage and moral strength. Romans 8.15 goes on to talk about this idea. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Or the psalmist said in Psalm 56, 3, verse 3 and 4, which I, was the first verses I ever memorized growing up, when I struggled with night terrors. And after I got saved, my mom said, memorize this, and I memorized this, and I memorized this, and I quoted this, and I quoted this, and eventually all the night terrors went away. The psalmist said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, who shall, shall I not be afraid? What can flesh do to me? Verse 11 says in Psalm 56, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Because God is eternal. God is a creator. So what does man have to do? They can destroy the body, but they can't destroy my soul. God gives us great confidence. God didn't give us fear. Fear is a byproduct of this world. In fact, Jesus said that in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not saying that you're going to all feel good about everything that happens in your life. That's not what he said. He says, I give you a peace that's different than the world is looking for. God, the world wants everything to be perfect and work exactly the way that you individually want in order to feel peace and confident. But then bad things happen and you no longer feel peace or confident. But he says, not as the world gives do I give you, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Warren Wiersbe, writing about this text, he said this, the world bases its peace on its resources, while God's peace depends on relationship, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The world depends on personal ability, but the Christian depends on spiritual adequacy in Christ. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for, but to the Christian, 
Peace is God's wonderful gift, received by faith. Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble, but Christians enjoy peace in spite of trouble because of the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. People in the world walk by sight and depend on all the externals, but Christians walk by faith trusting and depending on our eternal Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It all depends on Him. We're not dependent on what we can do or what the world does. That is what drives fear. And God didn't give us that. But look at, we need to remember, how do we serve faithfully in the coming year when things continue to get worse or better? How do we not get so focused on ourselves? How do we remain in this family atmosphere? Remember God, what he does give. Remember what God does give. He gives power, love, and a sound mind. The word power literally means divine strength. It's not a power that comes from us. It's not a power that comes from the world. This is a power that comes from the Lord. That's why in 2 Peter, it says in Verses 3 through 4, when he reminds us to remember the gospel, remember what God has given us, he says in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of that divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. God has given us a spirit of power to be able to to go beyond this corrupt world, to deal with the things. This power, Hudson Taylor affirmed this truth when he was talking about the Christian servant or the Christian worker. He said this about the Christian worker, quote, he said, it depends... Um, that he depends on it, the power of God. God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. All all um, All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. That power of God being with them, that relationship with God. They didn't go at this ministry alone. God uses men who are weak and feeble enough so that they will lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this great divine power also is displayed in the great divine love that he's talking about here. That's, the, you know, the term agape, this divine love, this unconditional sacrificial love, that self We call it the self-forgetting love. When we truly love the way that God loves, we forget ourselves and we worry about everything else. We love others. That's what God has given us. He gave us divine power to deal with serving and he gave us divine love to deal with serving. People say all the time, well, that's a godly love. I can't love the way that God loved because it's a divine love. But we see in 1 John 4, 18 and 19, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected 
in love, perfected through the gospel. Verse 19, same agape love. We love because he first loved us. We love the way God loves because of his love for us, because of the gospel. When we are focused on the gospel and the gifts that it brings, this spirit of love and power causes us to help us to love one another. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, he goes on to say in the end of verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured, this agape love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We've been, this agape love has been poured into our life to be used in ministry and service to one another. Not only that, but he gave us a sound mind, which is very interesting. I didn't know it, but I was dissecting the Greek word. The word literally is, means this, a saved mind. When it says he gave us the, a, a sound mind, he said literally it's the word saved mind. He gave us a saved mind. He not only saved our life and, and paid for our sin, but he gave us a saved mind to think like a saved person. It's often used, uh, such a mind is secure, it's sound, it's secure, it's able to hold up and bear under the weight. It carries the additional idea that the mind is self-controlled, disciplined, and properly prioritizes the ability to stay in control and to have success even in failure. The idea is, is that God has saved not only our life, but our, the way we think in order to be sound in our thinking, to be able to use godly wisdom. Just like it says in Proverbs 8.14, when the great and wise man who struggled with sin himself, when we looked at Ecclesiastes, he said this, he says, I have counsel and sound wisdom, I have insight and I have strength. All three of these grace gifts, these grace, graces of power, love, and a sound mind that are given by God, Timothy needed as he faced the life that God has called him to, as he faced a tremendous hostility towards Christianity during his time, when he would have to face all the terrible things that would come his way as being a pastor, as being a servant of the gospel. He needed God's power, he needed God's love, and he needed a sound mind. So that way, he would be prepared to maintain faithfulness in suffering. How do we maintain faithfulness in suffering? How can we serve faithfully when we suffer, when things get hard, when we face trials, when we face hurts? How can we live what James says in James chapter 1, verse 2? And he says, count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. How can we do that? As we prepare for the next year, and to maintain the gospel ministry at church, in the church body, we need to be prepared for service and to maintain faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Well, Paul said, therefore, do not be ashamed either of the witness about our Lord or me as his prisoner. The idea here is Paul is reminding Timothy to have a right attitude for suffering. You have to start with a right attitude. When things get hard, what do you do? A lot of times, 
people divert the truth and say, well, that's too hard. I, uh, there's got to be something different. And uh, many times there are Christians, many Christians, and we say, well, how did that church get so far away from God's teaching and from God's word? Many times it started because of how the persecution in the world and that they hate God's truth. And so many churches become ashamed of the truth. That's not the right attitude. That's not one of courage. That's not one of power and love and sound mind. He started off by saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel message. It's the testimony of our Lord. It's His work. Romans 1.16, Paul had already stated, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. John 15, verses 18 and 19 Paul or Jesus said, hey, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Because it really hates me, Jesus said. Don't be surprised. If you are called and you are saved and you are a child of God, don't be shocked when the world hates you. Don't be ashamed of that message. And Paul goes on, and don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner of Christ. How many, how many people that claim to be Christians after Paul got arrested, ran from the church and said, well, I'm not going to be a part of the church because they arrested Paul. How many followers of Christ, remember all the disciples when Christ was doing great works and he performed miracles and they flocked to him, but as soon as he told them something that was hard, they ran. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of that. Paul's reminding Timothy that it's really easy to succumb to the pressure and not to identify with the gospel and not to identify with the gospel messengers, those that are preaching the gospel in the hour of reproach when others suffer because of the gospel. That's a natural tendency of the human heart to run. That's the idea of being ashamed, to run from the truth. I'm reminded of the great hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. The author of this hymn, he said, to the old rugged cross, I will ever be true or faithful to, right? To be true. It's shame and reproach I will gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I will share. When we share in his suffering, that also means one day we will share in his glory. A.W. Tozer wrote, another theologian, he preached this, he says, little by little, this was over 100 years ago, by the way, little by little, evangelical Christians these days are being brainwashed. One evidence of that is the increasing number of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible of clear definition. They can't define the truth anymore. It's impossible. They, they've run so far from the truth. He went on to say the Bible has a great deal to say about suffering. And he said, and most of it is extremely encouraging. Have an attitude, the right attitude for suffering. Don't run. Persevere. And have an acceptance of suffering. One of the easiest ways to deal with suffering is to accept the suffering. There have been so many testimonies in this church body this last year of this very thing. 
I've seen so many of you dealing with suffering in an amazing, healthy way. Because in the midst of trials and tribulations, you've ran to the gospel. You're like, I'm hurting. You've actually grabbed onto the suffering and you've accepted the suffering. And you've, not only that, but you've grabbed onto the gospel and say that I'm only here by God's grace in the midst of this suffering. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy and reminding him. He's saying, not only don't be ashamed of of either the gospel witness of the Lord or me as a prisoner in the gospel message, but he said, but join with me in suffering for the gospel's sake. Be partakers with me in suffering. He He said, Timothy, he said, own it. Own the suffering. The quickest way to deal with suffering is to own it. The more you run from suffering, the bigger your suffering gets. Paul is right. Join with me, he says, Timothy. Don't run from it. Maintain that right attitude of suffering. How do you do that? By just accepting the, the suffering. That's what, what, he, what God is telling us in Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And if the children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided the, the evidence of this is that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Own the suffering, and God will own us and also get to share in the glory with him. This brings us to the next aspect is remember that you have assistance in suffering. This is the beautiful part of it. Paul says, now, hey, have the right attitude and own it. You know, accept the suffering because look what he says in the end of verse 8. Join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Remember that power that God gives us? Remembering that in the gospel and the gifts that God gave you, he gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power. We have assistance because Suffering, we suffer with accordance to God's power or with God's power. That's why he reminded him in chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul reminded Timothy, he says, But the Lord stood by me, Timothy, and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles and they might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him, to God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's reminding Timothy. He said, look, God will strengthen you in your suffering. If you accept the suffering, if you have the right attitude, you're also going to have the assistance to deal with the suffering. You're not going to be alone. That's what's so beautiful about the end of Romans about this is the effect the gospel has after Paul has said, here's all the aspects of the gospel. And he gets to the very end and he says this, now, because of the gospel, to him who is able, to God who is able to strengthen you according to this gospel and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Revelation, the mystery that was kept secret for so long, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all the nations according to the commands of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever and ever. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God is able through the gospel to strengthen us in accordance to the gospel. Remember that you have assistance in suffering. How do we prepare for this year? Remember that when we suffer, you have assistance. Accept the suffering and maintain the right attitude. But here's the other thing. Remember that we have anchors. One of the biggest things in storms for any ship is to remember that a ship needs anchors during a storm to hold it steady so that way it doesn't get bashed against the rocks or thrown sideways and sunk in the ocean. Uh, During great storms, many times they would throw multiple anchors out so that the storm wouldn't drive them through the waves and that it would just slowly slow down their push into land. It would cause it to not roll and pitch and to gain more water, to help them to steady the ship. Here's the beautiful thing is is that we need to remember that we too have great angers, and that's what Paul's reminding Timothy. Paul's reminding Timothy that you have an anchor. And he says in verse 9, he says, according to this great power of God through the gospel, Look at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us to a holy calling? We have this great salvation. Look at the source. It is God that has called us. It isn't your works. It isn't based on our abilities. It isn't based on the world. There is nothing that can anchor our soul other than the source of our salvation. Paul goes right back and he says, now look, I want you to share this suffering. I want you to accept this suffering. I want you to have the right attitude. You have the power from God through salvation and remember to be anchored to that salvation. When everything is going wrong or there's suffering that's happening, when we accept it, go back. One of the things that will steady you is to remember that God has simply saved you. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us. Paul's reminding Titus, just as he reminded Timothy, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His great mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is God's purpose. This is God's power. This is what steadies our life until He takes us home. Our salvation. But he didn't stop there, just the source of the salvation that comes from him, not from us. But he reminds us of the results. Look at the results that he reminds us in the midst of suffering in verse 10. He says, But now this salvation has been manifested by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this manifest appearing means this it means to make visible, make plain, being in full view. What was previously hidden? We have seen this plainly, what God has done through our salvation. These results. Look at the results. By the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light, to to plain view through what? There it is again, the gospel. God's salvation for us, his work on the cross. Look at the results. The results 
of our salvation anchor us in the midst of suffering. He abolishes death. He is the destroyer of death, the bringer of peace. He abolishes. That means he renders it powerless, idle. Death no longer controls us or controls our fear. It's inoperative no longer because of our salvation. He brings life in immortality, meaning no longer is our life corrupted. It's incorruptible. It's, sub, it's no longer subject to decay of sin. Not only does he remind of the results, but look at verses 11 and 12. He says, look at what God has done to me. He's called me to be an apostle, called me to be a preacher. And he says, for which I was appointed, right? That God appointed me. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed it, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He has entrusted, Paul says, I have given my life to Christ. I have entrusted my life to the hands of my Savior. I trust him. We need to look at the example of salvation in faithful men. We see Pastor Ralph We go back, we see Hudson Taylor, we've seen great preachers, great theologians. We've seen, now Paul is reminding him, look at my life, Timothy, what God has done. It's not because of me, it's because of the gospel. This is what God has done. He's testified personally to which he now asked Timothy to do. He said, what I'm asking you to do, I am doing in my life. And look at the outcome. I love the Greek, what it literally says, that he is able to guard my deposit. He is, he is unshaken in his confidence, in his ability to do what God has trusted him to do. He is able to effectively, that God will guard his deposit. He is confident. He has believed. He is not persuaded by the world. He is not persuaded by his suffering. Because we, he, he, he says... During suffering, Timothy, remember my example. Remember how committed and how confident I've been for what God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. We have another anchor, and that is follow the faithful pattern of God's word. He says, hey, Timothy, don't stop. We have another anchor that will hold ourselves steady in the midst of storms. In verse 13, he says, hold to the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Follow the right pattern, the right words of God. Sound words literally means healthy words. The words of truth, which God has given to Paul, which now he gives to Timothy. But he didn't stop there. He says, anchor yourself in sound, healthy words. God's word will bring health, just as it says in Psalm 19. The psalmist says that his word brings health to my bones. It's amazing. I remember working at the mission, and I was... at the New Life program, and I was in charge of teaching theology to those that were in the program that were going through addiction stuff. And and I remember seeing guys that I would go in, and they were like, man, you're too young to be a preacher. And I was like, well, how old do you think I am? And they're like, oh, you're like in your 20s. I'm like, wow. And, And they're like, well, how old do you think I am? And I'm like, well, you're like, you look like you're in your 50s. 
And they're like, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like 30. And I'm like, well, I'm 34. <laughs> I was older than him, but he looked so old. Two years later, that same guy, we were really good friends. He looked like he was, and by the time, after two years of being in God's word and, and now serving in the mission, he looked like he was in his 20s. It was amazing. He had all these health problems. But it was amazing what God enabled him to do the more he gave his life to the pattern of healthy words. The world does not have a pattern of healthy words. God's word is a healthy, sound pattern of truth. So Paul reminded him, the last anchor you throw out is protect that faithful pattern of word. He says in verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been trusted to you. Guard the gospel. Guard the word of God. Guard what has been deposited in your life through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit to your life this entrusting thing. Jude chapter, well, there's no chapters. Jude verse 3 says, keep, keep, and keep guarding the faith. Contend, fight for the faith. How do we prepare to, to be steady in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulation that is coming, that is ahead in the last times? Guard the faith that's been given to you. Don't neglect it. Stir it up. Blow on the embers, you know? I'm always telling my kids, go tend to the fire. You know what they do? They throw more paper on it. Like, stop putting paper on it. It's just going to go out. And sure enough, I go back. I, I, and I'm like, do this. And I get down on my hands and knees. And I'm, I get lightheaded. And I'm like, you know, because I need a billow. I need a, but I'm sitting there and I'm telling, tend it. Don't put more, you know, paper on it. Just blow on it. And those embers start to glow. And the more that they glow, and you tend to the gospel in your life and the faith that God has given you, it's a gift. Blow on it and watch the flame burst and the healthy, sound thinking that turns into healthy, sound living. That burst of flame in your life, that power that God gives you, it's not based on the world. There's nothing the world has to offer. There's nothing we can do better and bigger than the gospel and the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end with these three things. Do you realize we don't need anything new to be useful for the Lord? You don't need anything new. You need to fan the flame of the gospel in your life. If you're going through hard times and as you look at this new world, you don't need new. You need what God has given you. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not looking for Bigger and better, he's looking for faithful men. Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? The Lord doesn't need anything new. Just fan the fire of what God has already given you. Let God do the rest. The other thing I want to remind you is that fear of the unknown, assumptions, fear, the world has a tendency to put that fire out. Why do we need to keep blowing on that fire to, to tend to that fire of the gospel and the faith that God has given us? 
and serve him faithfully because the world douses it. The Lord smothers it. And that's what fear does. I want to remind you, what is anchoring your heart this morning? What is your anchor? What are you tethered to? What have you inadvertently tethered an anchor to something that is shallow, unuseful, an idol, false worship of something that you think is the most beneficial thing in your life? Has it caused you to struggle? Go fan the flame of the gospel. Put yourself back into the source of your salvation and look at the results of what God has done in your life, what we have. Follow good examples of faithful men. Go back and follow the sound words in which he's given you already and protect above all costs that faith. How are you protecting your faith? It's not about putting rules in your life. It's about protecting that faith, that that relationship that God has given you. What is your heart tethered to? If it's tethered to, Paul's reminding Timothy, tether yourself to the source of your salvation and you will survive in the midst of suffering. You know, praise the Lord because of writings of early church fathers, because of things that we've seen that have come out of Ephesus. We had so much writing right from right after this, and it talks about that Timothy went to jail for the gospel, and then he survived it. Not only that, but here's the thing. John, who was on Patmos, that that Peter couldn't stand because not only did he run faster than Peter, but that he wasn't going to die, you know, for the Lord. He He died natural causes, but he went, John went back after being exiled on Patmos. Guess where John The apostle ended up in Ephesus where Timothy originally was. God sent other great examples to Timothy. The the writings that we have from Josephus, we know that Timothy endured to the end. And he served God faithfully, even in persecution, just like Paul. I pray that this will help encourage you as we look forward and ahead that it's very simple. Fan the flame of what God has already given you. Don't be afraid. That's not what God gives us. Go back and fan that flame of the gospel and the faith which he gave you in the beginning and let God do the rest in your life because he will if you fan the flame. Tend to the fire of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, the sad thing is, as I realize that there are many, maybe some that are even watching the live stream that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you. Yes, they, 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 they've read the Bible. They know that you are true and then that you existed. They even know that you existed in history, but they don't have, they're not actually guarding or entrusting their life, just as Paul just said, that he trusted that when he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that that God would guard his life and save it for eternity, that he, God would conquer death. I pray, Lord, that someone here, that they would realize that it's no longer, it's not about their righteousness, about their good deeds, but it's actually the work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and that they would hear that and that the Holy Spirit would make their heart alive and that they would call to you in realization that they need to trust their life with you, that they would call upon you to save their life, that it's your righteousness that when you died on the cross and that you saved us, you have imparted your righteousness to us. It's your good deeds, your perfect life that you sacrificed for us and that when you rose again and conquered death, that provides perfect peace for our sin. When we deserved wrath, you gave us your righteousness to cover up our sin, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that if someone here, that they'd realize that it's not about their good deeds, but about your good deed. And that they would call upon you and that you would save them. Lord, for the rest of us, I, I pray just like Paul prayed for Timothy, that this year we would think about this new year and we would ask that question, what is our heart tethered to? If we are going to survive as a church, being a gospel-centered church, being a, a church that worships the Lord, that spreads the good news that Jesus Christ died for us, took our place, paid for our sins, satisfied all of God's wrath to give, bring us into a right relationship. That if we're going to maintain that church family Ministry where we love one another with a perfect love, forgiving one another, supporting one another, building up one another through the gifts that God has given us. And if we're going to maintain that, that we would be reminded of what Paul has reminded Timothy to serve faithfully, to not neglect the gifts that you gave us, not to neglect the gospel, the faith that you gave us, that we would continue to pursue the gospel, to fan the flame, to to anchor ourselves to what is true so we can endure the storms that are ahead that you've told us about. May it not surprise us when we suffer for your sake because they hated you first and we are your children. So it's only right that they would hate us. May that not cause us to be ashamed, but embolden us to remember that we are your children and we cry out and call you Father. May that be true of our lives this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.